Well, good evening. Everyone's making their way in. Thank you for coming this evening. Welcome to Tuesday Evening Chapel. This is our last Tuesday Chapel for 2012. Wow. Can you believe it? This is also our third, the third of our Advent Chapel services for this year. Our speaker for this evening is Professor of Bible and also Professor of Pastoral Ministries, uh, Professor Joe Warrington. Let's welcome him. He's going to be bringing us the word. Well, we've been lighting some candles, and tonight we're going to light a pink candle. Why pink? Joy, good job. Pink, pink represents joy. The purple candles and also uh, the blue that is involved in Advent represents God's royalty. And the pink candle always represents joy. So we're going to light the pink candle. Last week we lit a couple of candles. Uh, one, uh, the candle of hope. The next, the candle of preparation. And tonight we're going to light the candle of joy. So let us read begin our service this evening with a response reading. I'll read first and you follow. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Week by week, the light grows stronger and brighter as we anticipate the coming Christ. My soul glorifies the Lord. We excitedly anticipate the coming of the Mighty One, the promise of healing, comfort, liberty, and freedom is good news that is meant to be shared. We kindle this flame together. We lift our hearts and voices and songs of joy. And that's what we're going to do this evening. Let us all stand as we rejoice in songs of joy. We're going to sing joy to the world. And there's going to be an added verse. It says joy, unspeakable joy. And it says un. Overwhelming wealth, no tongue can tell. Glory, unspeakable joy, it rises in my soul, never must be told. Testing. There we go. Let's pray together. Father, we live in, in uh, troubled times, difficult days, sorrowful days, painful days. But yet, Lord, we believe you want to sustain us with your joy and your peace and your love. 
Tonight, as we draw near to you, we pray, Lord, that you will indeed draw near to us. Guide our thoughts tonight, and may you be glorified. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to thee, O God, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Amen. I want to draw your attention tonight to the book of Isaiah, the 35th verse, uh, chapter of Isaiah tonight. Last Friday, last Friday morning, You and I, we heard the, the awful, horrific thing that happened in a little town called Newtown, Connecticut. And uh, this is not an isolated act. It's, it happens in different places. It speaks of the, of the pain and the sorrow and the heartache and the difficulty of humanity. In Congo, in Mali, what's happening in other places in the Middle East, and on the streets of any city in America. It is a callousness for human life, a sense of lostness, hopelessness. And, uh, and you and I probably, we've had some loss and reverses in our lives and times of grief and sorrow and pain, and, but we know that's temporary because of our relationship with God. In, in this chapter, in this uh, chapter of, of Isaiah, uh, 35, it speaks to us about joy. The reversal of heartache, and sorrow, and mourning, pain. And to better understand this, this chapter, we have to go back one chapter to 34, because it sets the background, it sets the stage for what God, through the prophet Isaiah in this oracle, in this, what we call a prophetic poem in chapter 33. 34 gives us a hint and a sense of why it is so important for chapter 35 to follow. Listen to some words from 34, verse 1. Come near you nations, and listen, pay attention, you peoples. He's addressing the world, humanity. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all that comes out of it. The Lord is angry with all nations. His wrath is on, on all their armies. He will totally destroy them. 
He will give them over to slaughter. Their slain will be thrown out. Their dead bodies will stink. The mountains will be soaked with their blood. I want you to picture that imagery here. Blood will rise to the top of the mountains. That's a picture of God's disgust and frustration uh, with humanity in, in some sense. All the stars in the sky will be dissolved and the heavens rolled up like a scroll. All the stereos will fall like withered leaves from the vine, like shriveled figs from the fig tree. And then we'll finish with verse 5 because he singles out one little city-state, the smallest among uh, little countries around Israel, namely Edom. And he says, my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. See, it descends in judgment on Israel. In a sense, frustrated with the sin and the, and the disobedience of humanity and, and was about to just chop them down to bits and pieces and, and, uh, and, and do away with all of them. But he's God. And he loves his creatures. And so, in this poem, it's, uh, I want to preach it in its genre, in the way it is written, in a poetic form. And so it's broken down in two parts. It's broken down in two parts. The first covers the first six verses of a poem, of this poem. And then the second part, the first is the transformation of God's advent. The transformation. When God comes, what will happen? What he will do? Verses 1 through 6a. And then the second part of this poem, verse 6b through verse 10, talks to us of the homecoming of God's people to Zion. And, and, and again, this poem is... is it transcends the local setting in Israel as, as Isaiah prophesies of the exile and then the return. Uh, that it, it goes even beyond the first advent to the second advent. That in a sense, it covers all of human history of what God's plan is to restore and to bring joy and gladness to the human soul. It is a sense, a, a place... Uh, where the, the, this, this uh, prophet wants to bring renewal to God's people. And so let's look at, at this poem. The first stanza is covered in verses 1 and 2. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus or the daffodil is another uh, way to describe this plant. It, it will burst into blossom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. And who are they that's spoken here who will see the glory of the Lord? It's not the wilderness. It's not the mountains. It gives us a hint that he will hold on to see who will experience the glory of the Lord until we come to the last verse in verse 10. So he's teasing us in this opening stanza 
This first stanza foretells the miraculous transformation of some, of some unnamed desert, he says. The desert and the parched land will be glad. Oh my, what, what a picture of refreshing and renewing uh, the, this sense of Lebanon. Uh, Lebanon was the tallest uh, mountain around Canaan area and the cedars of Lebanon used as a, as a metaphor for strength. And then you have uh, camel. The word camel here is, another, is translated actually orchards. So you have the planting of fruit trees and, and the planting of forest trees uh, around the, the Mediterranean basin there in Israel. The, 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 this, this plant, this crocus or the daffodil has the, the flowers like trumpets that carpets the ground. Can you see a, paint a picture of a desert that is carpeted with beautiful flowers? Tall, towering trees and orchards of fruit trees. Uh, what a reversal of a desert. This speaks to us individually of, of the dryness that may be in our own lives that God wants to bring renewal and, and joy and gladness to our hearts. Or maybe it's the dryness in our churches and, and the need for renewal. And, and, and some of you are going home to this Christmas and you're wondering, will there be life in my church when I get there? You probably have heard of some of the difficulties and, 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 and tensions that, you know, home churches. And, and, and so there is hope of renewal for all of us, whether it's individually or as a family or as, as a church family. God wants to reveal his glory. The second stanza, let's, let's just move on. We have, we have little time because there's so much in there I'd like to unpack for us tonight. The second stanza is verses 3 and 4 and it, it hints at who will see God's glory and how will they see it? Who will see this glory and how will they see it? Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way the trembling knees of fear. Say to those who with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. That's Advent. He's coming. He's come. Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And the, 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 the word vengeance here, let us not be betrayed by it to think that it is God is just going to come and, and, and crush us. No, he's going to come and bring justice. All the injustices will be settled. And, 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 and what the oppression of the enemies on God's people, he will he'll bring it to naught and bring it to cease. And therefore we can have joy. He comes. And then he, he says in verse 4, he will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. He will come to restore, to heal, to bring justice 
in a world that is so filled with injustice and oppression and exploitation and, and all the, the, the negative things we see in our world today, when God comes, he will come and save you. And those who are fearful with trembling knees and cannot stand steady, he says for them, I will show you my glory. I will show you my glory. In, in stanza number three, and by the way, the, this, uh, this uh, poem is built in two sections and three stanzas in each of those two sec sections. In the third sec uh, uh, stanza of section one, it explains what God's coming will do for his people. What will, that, what will his coming do for them? Verses five and six. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, those who had feeble knees and that were fearful. They will, they will experience the healing touch of God from their paralysis. And not only will they walk, but they will leap for joy. Reminds me of the gentleman that was in Acts chapter 3. Silver and gold, Peter says, we do not have. But such as we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And this man just started jumping and leaping. Almost like a jackrabbit. Testing those little muscles, those ankles that had never worked in his life. Joy. In, in, in these verses, then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. What a reversal. You see, blindness in, in wisdom literature in the Old Testament was a lack of perception and sight and insight. So when God opens the eyes, we begin to see him. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Deafness was meant incomprehension and unteachability. All of that will be reversed. Paralysis was a sign of moral and spiritual impotence. And then dumbness was really thoughtlessness and stupidity. And so the, 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 the job of the teacher was to open the eyes and the ears of his students so that they could walk and talk properly. And so Isaiah gives us a hint here. He had already said something of these people. In fact, in chapter 6, in that great chapter of where God manifested himself to Isaiah, chapter 6, he speaks of the blindness to God of the, of the people, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 6 of Isaiah. In that same chapter and same verses, he speaks to their deafness to his voice. And then in chapter 32 and verse 4 through 6, he, he had already spoken of their dumb stupidity. In chapter 30, 
He said that God would lead them on the right path. He would walk with them. So they, they will indeed see him with their own eyes, hear him with their own ears, walk with him on, on the right way, and praise him with their own mouths. Look at this with me again. Go back to verse 5. In verse 5, they'll have vision to see the glory he had promised in verse 2. In verse 5, they will hear of the message he has spoken of in verse 4. In verse 6, their lameness will be heals, healed from their paralysis so that they can walk on the highway that he's going to build. And in verse 10, their speech will be recovered so that they will come singing. Of, as the people of God returning home. There are some parallels between these two sections. But this, this water, this refreshing, this streams in the desert, back in verse 6, then will the lame leap like a deer and, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Metaphorically, I wonder if he's speaking also of the work of the Spirit in the lives of his people. In chapter 36, the next chapter, he says, I will sprinkle you with water. I will remove the hardness of your heart and give you a soft heart. And in chapter 37, he says, the dead dry bones will live. They will begin to rattle. And life will come to them. This water is, speaks of life. And this life in the Old Testament sense is that of the, the work of the Spirit. And so this, this third Sunday, this third this service of Advent, speaks of renewal of joy and, and the work of the Spirit in the hearts of God's people. But notice the second part of this poem. Verses 6b through verse 10. And in the first stanza of the second part, he shares with us how the wilderness will become a fertile garden and forest. Look at those verses. Then will the lame, uh, verses uh, 6b and 7, then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bobbling springs in the hunts where jackals once lay. Grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. Luscious, green. Amen. The provision of, of water to irrigate the desert. Then in, in, in the second stanza, verses 8 and 9, the, the holy way for the redeemed. It speaks to this, this, this path, this, this way of holiness. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. We're told that the road that led to the temple in Jerusalem, the name of the street itself was the holy way. The holy way, as worshippers, pilgrims, travel 
from the sea to the temple up to the to the temple. They made the street, the holy way, no academy, no powers. I was tempted as I was driving to come to chapel tonight. I said, I wonder why didn't they name that street that comes up? Wouldn't it be nice to name it the holy way? Well, that's what Isaiah did in this poem. He sees exiles coming out of Babylon. And God is going to build a highway. And he's going to call it the same name that the street that led to the temple. The holy way. The way of holiness. It is an invitation for, for God's people to get on on this road with him, to travel with him, to journey with him. It tells us those that were excluded getting on this highway. Look at it here. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. The wicked fools will not go about on it. The wicked fools is an expression of those who participated in the temple but their hearts were far away from God. There's a, a name for those. They're called hypocrites. The Bible speaks to that. It says no lion will be there and no any ravenous beast, no predators will be there. They will not be found there. But those included are the redeemed. They will walk there. You see, the, this, you, 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 you have here the way of righteousness. And again, in the wisdom literature, especially in the book of Proverbs, and especially chapter 9, when you get a chance, do a little study. In Proverbs chapter 9, there's a contrast in that chapter of wisdom and folly. And there's a, there's a grid there you can follow that interprets the rest of the book of Proverbs. That wisdom invites her devotees to come, to come to her house, to come to, to eat and feast, and at the end of it is life, righteousness. It is the way of Yahweh, it is the way of holiness and wisdom. And then in that same chapter 9, I think in verse 13, folly also invites her devotees. But it says those that come, they never get, go out. It's like a roach motel. They meet death. And that is depicting not of Yahweh and life and righteousness, but of Baal and all false deity. And so this way of God is the way of life, it's the way of righteousness, it's the way of holiness. And it is an invitation for us to come into God's presence, to walk with God, to experience his cleansing, to experience his, 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 his forgiveness and his grace on that way with him. Not only is God building it, but he's walking alongside as if he's, he's leading the procession to worship, to worship him. And then you have the, the third stanza. 
This third stanza in verses verse 10. They have a reason to sing and shout for joy. That's how the poem ends. He gives them the reason to sing. You remember in verse 2 he had given them the hint that they will experience the glory of God. Now we see it unfolded. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. They will experience the glory of God. The presence of God. The joy of repentance. The joy of holiness. They will see God's glory when they get home as promised in verse 2. They will celebrate a great festival with God. In Deuteronomy 16 and verse 15 and 16, it speaks of three festivals that the, that the Israelites were to observe. But this one festival will, will outdo all three of those festivals. It's the great festival, we may say. Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will come into Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. God's own joy will, will be a crown on their heads. As if God will come and put a, a crown of, 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 of singing on your, on your brow. A, a gladness on your heads. And mourning and sorrow. This transcends the return of not just the Israelites who were scattered by the Assyrians from back to Jerusalem, or when the, temp when the kingdom was divided into two and the northern kingdom went up north and they, met, they made their own shrines at Dan and Bethel. Uh, and they said, well, this might mean that coming back to Jerusalem to worship, it's more than that. It may be that, but it goes beyond that. It goes beyond the exiles in Babylon coming home. It goes beyond that. It enters into the time of the New Testament with Christ who has come to bring salvation, to bring joy and hope and peace into the lives of his people. And it goes even beyond that. It covers the parousia, the second coming of our Lord, when death itself is destroyed. It's eschatological. It brings the, the totality of all of God's plan for his people together. You see, the, the poem begins and ends with singing and gladness. The way of holiness is not a dismal journey, but the way of joy. Travel on it begins with joy and ends with greater joy. As Christians, we're called to share the joy of our Lord. The secular world does not and cannot know this joy. It is, it is the joy of angels and the joy of God himself. You see, at the birth of Jesus, this joy comes down on earth so that we too can join in with the angels in their praise and enjoyment of God. This joy which we share with the whole redeemed natural world issues in the praises of God which unites us with the whole of God's creation. The end of it all, resounding praise as we see God's glory. For us today, the way to this joy takes us to Jesus, to his birth, to his life, to his death, to his resurrection, to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and of course, his ascension, and then the second coming. And of these, I will connect 
but one of these messages of joy tonight on his way to the cross in what is called the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We call it Palm Sunday. Listen to those words of the pilgrims that came down with him from Galilee. Disciples, the scripture says, not just 12, but hundreds of them that followed him. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully and with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen him do, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They did not say like the angels in chapter 2 and verse 14, peace on earth. No. They said peace in heaven and glory in the highest. As if to say, heaven is pleased with what's happening down here today. The Messiah indeed has come. We see his miracles. And we are beside ourselves and with ecstatic, exuberant joy, they burst forth into singing because Christ on his way to the cross, they recognize him as God's Savior who has come. Heaven was at peace with the coming of Jesus and his death on the cross is to bring us joy. And you and I this Christmas, we can experience that joy. It's a lasting joy. It's not temporary. It outnumbers and outdoes all the festivals of the Old Testament because it is everlasting. Everlasting joy shall be upon them. And they shall shout the praises of God. So I ask you as we close tonight. What is it that is robbing you of this joy? What is it that is so difficult in your life? That you... You're unable to experience and to enjoy God. That's his plan is for us to enjoy his glory, his presence. Amen. Even in the midst of difficulty. Praise the Lord. Amen. The message of joy. At the heart of Christmas, is the message of the cross and at the heart of the cross is the message of Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for Savior. Thank you for going on beyond chapter 34 of Isaiah and giving us chapter 35. Thank you, Lord, for your your son, for your spirit of renewal, for joy. 
We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful Christmas. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. You're dismissed.